0: Special thanks to AskSpoke for featuring the Fleet Admin community on the IT Kit podcast. Thank you, Carrie, Freda, Rosanna, and Aaron for being part of today's panel. We'll kick off things in just a moment, but I first wanted to share some exciting news that inspired the lineup for today's discussion. FleetSmith recently launched our very first employee resource group, the Women's Organization of FleetSmith, affectionately called the Wolfpack. It's March, which was Women's History Month, and what a better way to kick off Fleet Admin events in 2020! Then to get a group of talented women in IT together to talk shop and share knowledge. We have an amazing panel today. Joining us are Carrie Buckley, Lead IT Infrastructure at Greylock Partners, Freda Kretzer, Enterprise Support Engineer at Facebook, Erin Merchant, Technology Evangelist at AskBook, Rosanna Schaefer, Customer Support Specialist at Fleesmith, and I'm Ashley Owens. I'm the IT Manager at Fleesmith and your panel moderator for today. I'd like to go around the room and introduce ourselves. Let's
1: give a thirty second intro
0: with a little bit of background about yourself
1: uh, so i 'm Carrie Buckley. I work at Greylock Partners. I've worked at Greylock for a long time, too long to calculate, actually. but I started my career there providing desktop support, and over the years i've worked my way up into uh, a position where I now manage our IT infrastructure mostly cloud-based at this point, but there is some on-prem stuff spread across our three office locations. We're a small team, but I also help manage uh, most of our IT projects and we drive projects with the business as well. I work with the ops team to kind of partner on solutions for them. And it's super fun to kind of figure out their problems and design uh, a technology solution to just meet their needs.
2: I'm Erin. I am at AskSpoke, formerly of Envoy and previously Pixar. My role is a little different than it used to be in that I'm not necessarily leading a team, but I'm also used as their in-house guru and resource for all things IT. So whenever they have questions about how to speak to IT professionals, why we might want to feature, what we are looking for in the future, the way we think, the way we tick, they turn to me and ask me those million-dollar questions.
3: I'm Frida. I also have jumped around a lot in my IT career. I'm currently at Facebook, which is my final frontier in IT, meaning a massive, (laughs) massive corporate-like environment. I started out in IT five years ago as a consultant. So I was a consultant for a couple of years, built my skills there mainly, and then uh, I was hired in-house doing management of infrastructure for... CIF Science, which is a machine learning credit card anti-fraud company. And then my last company was Pantheon, which is how I heard of Spoke. And now I'm here at Facebook, and it's an honor to be with you here today, so thanks for having me.
4: Hey, I'm Rosanna. As Ashley mentioned, I'm part of the customer support team at FleetSmith. I have about 10 years of experience in, in customer service. Most of that actually was in the arts and performing arts. So I'm a little bit newer to the world of IT, but I'm absolutely loving it. And my focus is aside from assisting customers with troubleshooting and things like that. I also focus on knowledge management and making sure our help center is, is full and that we have
0: all the information that we need. Awesome. Yeah. We have an amazing group of women here today and I'm really excited to dive into these topics. So let's kick off with the topic of security culture. You know, we find that modern companies, especially in the SaaS world, are leaning more towards a model where IT and security teams work closely together. So my first question is, what are some benefits to having a strong security culture in a company? And this can be from an IT point of view, security point of view, or support point of view. And let's start from the top, let's start with Carrie. I knew you were gonna start with me, huh?
1: It's nice having a strong security culture. I find that users are far more aware now of cybersecurity risks. It's helpful because I feel like when they're informed, they're trusting in solutions that you suggest. It helps when, you're, when you need to deploy tools. It just helps when users are more informed because they're more willing to reach out to you if they're if having a problem. They're often the eyes and the ears of what's going on out there yeah i mean security is so important
3: i've been obsessed with infosec since entering it because i remember first hearing about the breach that happened with yahoo and that was when i was like okay this is (laughs) this is gonna be a problem there's still as you know quite a few people who don't know what password managers are and we're here to help not only understand how tech works but bring people into the future and what's what's going on currently, which is a lot of hacking. IT and security have to be super tight and always communicating. It's invaluable.
4: From a support point of view, I think it's obviously really critical that support agents have security awareness because we handle so much sensitive customer data and we have to be able to guard that data pretty closely people don't really realize how vulnerable they can be to attackers who are trying to get that customer data. And usually customer support agents are so focused on providing the right experience that if they get put in that emotional position, they could you know, let some information go. That's obviously critical. So it's really important that they have security awareness and they're part of this strong security culture. For support, we need to be able to find the right balance between providing an excellent experience for customers that's convenient, but also safe and secure. So there's a little bit of balancing to do with that. That's
2: a super resonant point for all of us, honestly, because it really speaks to the expectation that we have in terms of education around security, which I think is really what we're all getting at. There's desire for everyone to have the same amount of knowledge and scrutiny that we do as administrators and as leaders in the space when we're online. That just doesn't happen because ease of use is always our biggest enemy as well as our friend. So having an opportunity for people to become educated in light of them wanting efficiency or using that as like a wrapper around their efficiency I think is really critical. And I also think about how it's going to inform products and the products we use and the services that we bring in and uh, the way that we build product as well. How are we implementing the same kind of tactics that we ourselves would want to see and be privy to when we are online and so much of our data is in the cloud these days, but also what does that say about like the morals and ethics of who we are and what we do as well? And then how does that trickle down to an IT team
0: as well, right? Right. Yeah. Such wonderful responses. I'm really curious, what has everyone's experience been when discussing the relationship between IT and security?
1: We're a venture capital firm, so uh, a bit of a different point of view in that we are smaller than most, you know, we're not enterprise level. However, we really feel strongly about delivering that streamlined quality end user experience. While we want our users to be hyper aware of security and obviously informed, we also want to make it painless and like a no-brainer for them to just simply have that security at their fingertips with minimal disruption to their daily workflow. So things like Okta, fettering as much as we can, single sign-on, you know, you just have one username and one password. Yeah, we're going to attach two-factor to that and we're going to have some password requirements and there's going to be a password policy, but at the same time, we're simplifying it so much. We have had such success with this and we've gained so much trust from a security standpoint from our users because we've been able to make it um, consistent across the board for almost all of our core applications. We found that that has really, really helped build that trust with our end users security-wise. Yeah, that's
0: really solid. Does anybody else have, from an IT perspective, any thoughts on this question? If not, I might point the question towards Rosanna. What questions are asked of support regarding IT and security? We get plenty of questions asked of us regarding those two
4: topics, both from customers and internally. Our customers are IT admins. They want to know if they're using our product, how they can best use it to make sure that their devices are secure. And they really more or less ask us what features we have that they can use to make their devices secure. But also, their end users will sometimes contact us directly because their IT admin is asking them to install FleetSmith on their computer. And sometimes they wanna come directly to us and ask, well, is my boss gonna be able to see my web browsing history if I install this on my computer? Can they use GPS to see where my device is? So we kind of tend to field those questions as well from our customers and from their end users internally we're usually asked to provide the customer point of view whenever our product or design team is working on improving the customer experience in any way they might come to us and ask what feedback do you get from customers about this particular security feature that we have or what do customers tell you that they want to see more of or what can we improve on
0: so another fundamental part of a security culture is not just cohesion between parts of your org, but the people within it. We make decisions daily that if security is not top of mind, it could easily become a risk for vulnerability. My question is, passwords and security mindfulness practices can help to keep security top of mind for an organization. What are your thoughts on this topic and how do you help run any programs for employees, customers or users to protect and foster that security culture?
3: I mean, it's hard, right? Because everyone wants to use their personal note-taking app. iCloud is, you know, it's something you can't just shut off. It's always a balance, right? Because we primarily help the user with their machine. And that needs. we can't just be like, you have to have this. You can't use anything else. You can only use Google Drive for notes. Like, get used to it. You know, there's a lot of organizations that try and move in that direction and it ends up being less secure. I mean, I know that I'm biased because I'm really obsessed with InfoSec, but I can't really think of anything more important than security and mindfulness with that practice right now. I know I'm at Facebook, so that's kind of funny to say, but it's incredibly important to me and that's one of the reasons why i went there was to help out with that
1: to your point freda that's an excellent thing to bring up because at much larger corporations obviously they have to have some sort of standard and they can't necessarily let everybody use their own individual tools at least from where where i sit we're in the business of keeping people productive and what you need to use to do your job i feel like we're far more in the business of saying yes to people and figuring out how to make it happen than saying no right let us bear that burden of figuring out the security around it. And so I feel like because we do that 95% of the time, let's say that 5% of the time we have to say no, people trust that it's for a solid, valid reason. And, and again, I go back to tools that we use. So Okta is one of them, we use Spoke. FleetSmith is another great tool that we do use. We make it easy for the user. They don't really have to think about it. You can kind of help steer and guide that security culture from day one, utilizing core apps really helps.
2: Yeah, I I agree 110% with all of this. And I think it's really interesting that we come about the security culture that we wanna build in such different ways, but ultimately the end goal is still for it to be accessible to people. There's a a component of building on what Frida was saying, making it fun as well as educational, right? And I'm probably gonna be repeating the word education and efficiency a lot. But I I think that those are two aspects of this that are really fundamental. And as Carrie was saying, making sure that people are set up with things on day one is really great. But then there's always the question of how do you do that? When I'm thinking about the ways that I'm going to get people to buy into something that feels like it's going to decrease efficiency, which is fundamental to security, it's showing them value. A lot of the times it's because not only am I the tool expert or somebody who believes that it's going to make a difference, but I can also offer a service of education around that. So I can show you both how 1Password or LastPass is going to make your life easier and also the way that it's not going to be a blocker to your normal workflow during the day, it's just going to shift it a little bit. And from there, it gives people enough self-sufficiency that they both feel challenged by the product in a good way, but also that they really are getting the things that they need that are going to make them secure without it directly affecting their general daily life. Once you can do that, then you have buy-in to do the larger things that everybody really hates, which God forbid, once a year, you change your password. 365 days is plenty of time for you to have one. You can learn a new one after that, or maybe you just use a password manager, right? The fact that you build uh, that trust culture around the things that you're using that aren't actually going to impact heavily what you're doing in your work means that when it does come time where you have to slam a gate down to stop something really bad from happening, that people understand why and are probably going to complain, rightly so. None of us are thrilled with our normal daily lives being upended. At the same time, there's an understanding that comes with that that isn't going to end up being a detriment to the relationship of IT with the rest of the company.
0: I love these answers. Let's shift a little bit away from security and talk about a topic that is kind of new to me, but I imagine practice it without even knowing it, human-centered design and humanist IT. I want to ask Aaron first, what is humanist IT and is it different from human-centered design?
2: I was looking at the notes, it was like, ask me first and immediately went, "Yeah, damn it. So... <sighs> I, TLDR was human-centric design mostly because it can be applied in a lot of different ways. Thinking about what you're doing or what you're building with a person in mind. I'm sure that there's somebody who's written longer and smarter papers than me who's going like, no, that's such a mess, but that's cool. The way that I differentiate that from humanist IT, which is something that has come out of my mouth quite a bit, is one is the process and the other the execution. So human-centered design is essentially the infrastructure that you're building, whether that's the tool set that you're deploying or the robust nature of your security culture. And humanist IT is what you put in front of your customer. The way that you socialize that, the amount of empathy that you apply, your willingness to be transparent and honest, which also gives IT on the other end an opportunity to say no and try for yes when we can because that's what we want to deliver. Its intention is to build a level playing field relationship with IT and the rest of the business, which is something that is relatively new to us as administrators. It's I think new to leadership. So like your director level and C-suite in terms of understanding business use case and value of having somebody at the decision-making table. I try to apply that to the way I build any team. I think the cool thing is it also comes with a really great culture internally for growth opportunity, career development, and understanding that you've done everything you can can. That's something that has been incredibly valuable to me as an individual. So I've also started to apply larger scoped this term that I'm apparently coining.
1: Nice. Love it. How about others? Have others had experience or played with this in the field? I have more of a question for Aaron. What would be the driver to something like that? Are you talking about a level of transparency between it and the business that allows that humanistic approach to exist or laying out or sharing strategy and goals with each other so that you're all kind of sitting together at the table and discussing, you know, long-term goals. Yes. I'm just trying to think of it. Like how I'm, t- I'm trying um, to like think of what you're yeah. getting at. It's, it's
2: a little bit of both, right? And I think everybody's going to have a, a slightly different flavor of the way that they can apply that entire concept. It's a whole idea like most people take Scrum or Agile and they apply the things that are most relevant to their organization rather than actually doing that process as it was written in a book. I can give an example of a tangible way that I saw this Come to fruition is one of my, to this day, still pride and joys is that I built a physical help desk at Pixar. It was something that we had never had before. It's a company that's over 30 years old now. What it allowed for us to do is rethink the way that we were interacting with the rest of the people that worked around us. From that, we were able to start to be more... Direct about the reasons why we were doing what we were doing as an IT team. We were no longer siloed from the rest of the business, as well as built in a lot more ownership and understanding from our customer base, which I thought was a really interesting and fundamental shift. It also meant that where we were struggling or where we were frustrated, we had the ability to actually state that, which Ultimately, it took a lot of pressure off of us as a general team. It takes away a lot of that extra aggravation that we have from kind of feeling like we have to scream into a bag. When we're struggling to succeed, on a, on a larger scale, what I really think you're doing is you are creating value for IT and showcasing the value, both of having an internal and robust IT team, but one that is invested in the core business values because they have a strategic understanding of business practice. Perhaps you are actually sitting at the table or the conversations at that table are being reported down your IT structure that then propels you forward in a way where your team can think more strategically about the goals that you're going to build, the way you're going to advertise them to the company and why you're doing them.
0: That's great. Oh, that's awesome. You kind of touched upon this, but in your experience, how can you encourage human-centered design in the tool stacks or protocols that you have in place?
3: Anybody else want to take that one?
0: <laughs> <laughs> or or would this affect when deciding on tool stacks or protocols?
2: I think it really does. One of One of the things that I've been playing around with and been rethinking my philosophy on is Do I need to be the sole decision maker as to what tools we bring in? And does everything have to pass through me? Or are there a certain amount of boxes that I can check that also allow me to put trust in the end users and that they've done due diligence? The struggle is not exemplifying the best behavior. The struggle is getting other people to adopt it. And if we amplify who we are and what we do and why we do it, then it's going to start to help them formulate around that. Yeah, that's the next foray of this, I think. The first step was having people understand that IT people are humans too, or reminding them of that and getting away from this idea that we are equivalent to, you know, the IT crowd or that we're nerds in the basement and going with that robust personality into the world and showcasing from that all the really amazing things that we can do, like when we're partnering with a CS team and educating sales or walking into a DevOps meeting and having their back when they're reporting an initiative that we know is critical and important.
1: When we're partnering with internal BizOps teams, we do what we call ride-alongs. We really just kind of sit in with the team and, and just watch them work through their workflow or a daily problem. And it's like, you'd be so surprised Uh, you think you have an understanding of how they do their job on a daily basis and then you're like oh I didn't realize that this was a challenge for you but it's it's true for a long time IT was not viewed in that way at all we were like reactive we were there in case you needed us and now it's like let's partner let's work with us. I love that
0: I'm gonna start showing up to people's meetings (laughs) (laughs) anything else on this topic that anyone would want to add?
3: I just love what Carrie said. IT was viewed as being reactive, and I hope that's, I think that's really changing. And that actually hits back on our security topic.
0: Let's shift a little bit towards the topic of empowering teams. We often encourage our teams and customers to bring us their questions, and we want people to feel comfortable sending in the requests. But what happens when that turns into ticket abuse? Can People share time when this became an issue and how did you manage that? One thing that I always try to be conscious of
4: doing is documenting knowledge. If somebody asks me a question that they could have easily searched, I'll answer the question, but then I'll follow up so that hopefully they know for the future, oh, I could have found that myself. If they ask us something that they couldn't have found in our knowledge base, then that's a gap on our part. Something I always try to do is if we ever get a situation like that, document it as soon as I've answered the question and close that gap so that this can happen less and less frequently. Another thing I think that would help would be proactively doing internal training. Even though it takes a little bit more time and effort upfront, it can help reduce that reliance down the line
1: that was a great answer you're empowering your users i always say that the technology is often not the problem the problem is usually related to humans and humans don't like change it's a challenge when that's no longer your role or maybe not the best use of your time i love mini victories right i love setting up a member of my team and this user who needs support and like providing them the opportunity to have a little mini victory with this user it's a great win-win scenario for everybody because you have junior people at the firm who are looking to build that trust with our users. And then we have people who are trying to move on to work on other projects.
0: Anyone else want to share how they've implemented something to help decrease learned helplessness among employees or customers?
2: I mean, this would be such a missed opportunity for me not to say that I have a product that does this. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> I, I can speak to it when I was a customer before I, before I worked there. <sighs> Having the knowledge, first off, be really easy to build, and it built into the process of getting help, fundamentally shifted the way that people started coming to us. I had never experienced that prior, so it was a really interesting thing to see people go like, I need, oh, 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 that is really easy. I can do that. And and really what that came down to is the opportunity for them to stop and breathe and really ask the question of what do they need or what problem are they trying to solve? Because it definitely did free up a lot of time for me, but it was them following instructions that were clear and made it very, made them feel very competent in what they were doing.
3: Right on. Because people usually do one of two things. They either panic or they don't know how to search or both. (laughs) I sympathize with both of those things. I think that we've all experienced that in IT and that makes our job interesting as we've had to learn how to overcome that. <laughs> yeah, we're we're moving fast and it's, it's important to be uh, empathetic.
0: <laughs> Definitely. I love that. <laughs> so turning away from the customer and more focused on the actual IT and su- support teams, let's talk about self-care. IT and support, Often is a thankless job. If you do your job right, nobody's going to see it. And then if you do it wrong or if something bad comes up, everybody suddenly sees it. Long hours spent troubleshooting or deploying a new product behind the scenes can lead to burnout. What are some strategies to cope with or prevent burnout in IT or support?
1: I think that we've talked about this whole concept of being proactive versus reactive. I can speak personally that, you know, we took IT at Greylock from a standpoint of quite reactive several years ago to very proactive. It's changed everything for us. We're not feeling that repetitive stress of answering the same questions. I will also plug Spoke because we do use Spoke and we love it. Whether it's Spoke, whether it's a wiki, whether it's something internal you can direct people to, our goal is to work uh, smarter not... Not harder, right? I think if you can just shift that mindset of we're not sitting here waiting for tickets to happen and solving them, that approach and that type of leadership in your team is the key to preventing burnout. Nice. What else? The glass of wine that I'm drinking. <laughs> okay, so yeah. for,
0: yeah, for listeners who, who can't see the video, yeah. there is definitely yeah, some wine going on here tonight. <laughs>
2: so i have been thinking about this a lot, especially right now, because there is such a state of place right now where we're trying to do the best we can in relatively unknown territory with the tools that we have and potentially not necessarily a budget or time or an appropriate amount of implementation that we would like to have and how much stress that adds by default. And then on top of it, like Carrie was saying, the nature of our job. The nature of our job, even if we don't want it to be reactive puts us in a position where we're generally absorbing a lot of people's frustration. Very few people come to us without at least their frustration or their anger level at their machine and not at us, dialed up to like a three. I applaud people who can keep their cool around it. I, even as an administrator, get frustrated with this stuff, especially in my personal life. It's the whole reason I'm a Luddite in my personal life. I've been thinking about a lot of the ways I I would deal with this in the past because I love Help Desk. I still get a great amount of joy in participating in that. As much as I do the education, actually, I think that's probably up there with it. I just love the experience of interacting with people when they're asking for that kind of help. And I remember very clearly having the support of a team around me that allowed me to hit an eject button. And I think that that's really, really key for the way that I ended up not getting burnt out and walking away from IT altogether and instead deciding that I just wanted to like shift gears and move up the ladder a little bit. I could turn to somebody when I was having a really challenging time and say like, I am at my wit's end, I can do no more here, I need to step away from this, and can you take over? Even if it meant that it was a trade off, I will trade you this thing that I cannot even anymore. Give me the one that you cannot even, and then let's move along with our lives.
3: Yeah, right on, I mentioned being empathetic earlier, which sounds really great and nice, but you know, it's hard. It's really difficult sometimes. I'm constantly working on not taking things personally, which is hilarious because I take a lot of things personally and I'm really sensitive. But but it can be a great advantage. My sensitivity and neuroticism can like predict future issues. I'm constantly looking for stuff. It's important to separate yourself from the issue and the person's frustration, because right on with what Erin said, by the time they're seeing us, they're probably pretty sad or upset. But that's why it feels so good to help people.
4: (laughs) Absolutely. I think you all hit the nail on the head. I can't imagine what it would be like to be an IT team of one, like Ashley is.
2: Ashley, I want to turn it on its head a little bit. What do you think about this?
0: Yeah. (laughs) So burnout in IT is definitely, definitely a major thing. I'm the first IT hire and I'm building out a lot of our IT processes as well as onboarding, offboarding. We just did a SOC 2 and ISO 2700 compliance. So it's really easy when you're a team of one, get to the point where you're like, whoa, I am burnt out. Something that's been really helpful for me is I have a really great leadership team and, and bosses who were former IT, so they get it, they know what IT is. And so if I go to them and if I can identify, hey, I need to take a day off, get some space, they're really amazingly supportive and will give me that space. So that's helped a lot for you know preventing burnout. Yeah, but it's a tough job, right? <laughs> Let's shift over to building and supporting tools for a remote-first team. Disregarding the current situation, because I guess we're all remote workers right now, you know, remote teams are becoming more and more commonplace. And developing a tech stack and support strategies that actually can handle a distributed workforce is something that IT teams are having to think about these days. What steps have you all taken in your organization to facilitate remote workers?
1: The key for us is to simplify, like simplify, 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 at the same time, security. So back to the original conversation, moving away from on-prem, I mean, you guys work at startups, so it's different for you. I always joke. I'm like, if I could just literally take it all and throw it away (laughs) and start over, it'd be so much easier than trying to migrate legacy stuff into the cloud, right? Security plays a big part in that though, right? Cause now you're like, well, wait a minute, everything's out there. Nothing is in a central location anymore. And how are we gonna secure that? We've really had to be pretty agile and adapt to that and find technology that will solve that problem. Cloud-based is really just kind of like the overall umbrella answer to that question. Yeah, I love that. Definitely coming from organizations that were all
0: on-prem. I cannot imagine what a remote workforce would look like. What else? I would add that Obviously, communication is a really big part of
4: making sure the team is successful. Our support team is 100% full-time remote, but we're in three different time zones. We're pretty much communicating constantly throughout the day. So everyone's in the loop about
0: everything. Nice. So... We've touched upon a few challenges. I'm hearing like on-prem or you know communication. What other challenges of work remote either from the IT perspective of supporting remote workers or from actually being a remote worker? And what's been successful?
2: I'm learning what it feels like right now, which is actually a really great experience. But it's really hard to read even from a status report or using like a jam for a kanji or a fleet Smith to understand what machine health actually translates to in terms of somebody's interaction with the devices that we've provided them. I'm still working through what the great equalizer really is. And I totally agree with what Carrie is saying, putting everything in the cloud is one, but I feel like there's still something that we're missing that we haven't quite put a pulse on. And I'm sure that there are fully remote teams are out there right now who are probably rolling their eyes and be like, we got this. I would love to hear what they have to say about that because it's something constantly in the back of my mind. Who are these people that I don't know as well as I could and how could I be supporting them better?
0: The answer is holograms. Mm. Once we have holograms, we'll be we'll good to go. I, I love well, this well, idea. Here's
1: a question for you on that, Erin. So one of the things that I ask of a challenge, if you will, is, How do you replace that water cooler situation? I feel like Zoom is great and Slack is great, but there's like a formalness that comes along with it. I find it's hard to navigate around that versus when I come to the West Coast and I'm in my offices like with the people, it's so great. The only thing I can say that I've found helped a little bit is the people that I find I work with frequently that aren't on my team. I try to have standing one-on-ones with them. At least it gives us that... Open forum to understand who that person is and like what they need from you.
2: My first, like, tongue in cheek response to that was like TikTok. Oh my God. It's definitely I'm TikTok like, and
1: Instagram too old stories. For TikTok. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> that was my first response to Giffies. Just throw some <laughs> Giffies in there.
0: Okay. So we've answered the really, really hard questions tonight. And now we have some fun questions. So, <laughs> This is a lightning round, just sharing responses and just fun, lighthearted stuff. First question is, what has been your favorite IT building event? And we can start with the top, Carrie, and then...
1: Okay, I have to go with the most recent event, which was when I was in the Bay Area in December. Our boss took our team on a trip up to wine country, up in Sonoma it was awesome I'd never been up there I'm from the east coast so just to go up there and drink amazing wine was awesome my favorite part was that it was like a tour van and it was like this shitty like volkswagen 1960s van and the gas fumes were like kind of making us all feel woozy it was a really good time how about you Erin any favorite IT team building
2: events I think these are my favorite IT team building events (laughs) I'm a sucker for like anytime I get to talk to other people in our profession, I've really been loving the opportunity to pick people's brains from a podcast perspective. It's a new foray for me, but it's been really, really insightful. And the amount of really awesome and smart and witty answers for questions that I get back that immediately connects me to somebody through similar experience or great ideas is freaking rad. Read it?
3: Yeah, actually, I'm in the same boat with Erin. I've I've been trying to think, really, sadly, I haven't, I don't think I've done any IT (laughs) team building events because I've been on my own uh, for for so long. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that'll change soon. So this is awesome. That's awesome.
4: How about you, Rosanna? Well, this is team building. It's not really an event. Per se, what we do in our support team is uh, we take turns every week at the beginning of our weekly meeting, asking an icebreaker question, and everyone has to answer. And I know icebreaker questions can be really cheesy sometimes, but I think it's a really great way to kind of take a break from talking about the same thing we've been talking about all day, which is work, and kind of put our minds in another place, and you know just give our brains a little bit of a break and I think it's really nice
1: <laughs> I would like to put a disclaimer out there that while my answer was the most bougie it is literally <laughs> the only IT team building that I've ever technically had I mean it's funny because you asked that and I'm like uh that's probably the only tie, like official team building but it I'm not complaining it was fun
3: no I think that's, that's awesome no, IT doesn't usually that's usually like a sales thing you know so we should get those things yeah I'm all about that Yeah. Let's go. Can we, uh... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Everyone, hop in the car.
0: I'll meet you in wine country. Um, Okay, so quick
1: question. Star Trek, Star Wars? Uh, Definitely Star Wars.
0: Erin?
2: So seconded, Star Wars, all the way. I'm totally rewatching the entire seven seasons of Clone Wars right now. Nice. Am I allowed to,
3: like, both? Is that illegal? I think it is. It might be illegal. That's all good. (laughs) So, because Star Trek is super philosophical, and I, like, I majored in philosophy, so I still, I mean, I didn't continue in philosophy, obviously, because I didn't want to, but Star Trek did, and uh, that's pretty cool. But yeah, I I love Star Wars, too.
0: Nah, you can like both. That's
4: all good. (laughs) I have to go Star Wars, only because I've never seen Star Trek Don't Kill Me,
0: Frida. But it's on my list. <laughs> and finally, last question of the night: What was your last "We live in the future" moment? So, like, something happened, and you're just like, "Wow, this is the future."
1: So, I had a moment where this is really embarrassing. Like, so I could not—we we're running out of toilet paper, and like, we don't have any. I don't know about the Bay Area, but on the East Coast right now, because of everything that's going on the stores have no toilet paper. And so I had to like find somebody I know who works at a store who could get it when it came off the truck and like stash it aside for me. So while all this was happening, I'm laughing because I'm seeing these posts on Instagram of people ordering their supplies at a dispensary online and just like walking up and like picking it up and I'm like, "Okay, so like let me get this straight. I can go online and like order <laughs> like stuff from a dispensary, but I'm like I'm like smuggling toilet paper. Like I'm trying to find Toilet paper on the black market. Hopefully this doesn't make me sound like grandma,
4: but we recently set up our TV to take voice commands. And every time I use it, I feel like I'm living in the Jetsons. Okay.
0: TV, play Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Is it going to start playing? No. Nice. Erin, do you have anything?
2: Oh, God, I'm like, so. I'm. I'm so stumped. I'm trying to think of like what made me go like what <laughs> and uh, i feel like we become like and this is me getting philosophical is like we become so used to all of these things and just the rate of change that it it takes something like really over the top to like super shock you into being like holy crap and i'm trying to think of like something that made me feel that way oh which is really depressing i don't know i'm i'm God, I mean, my AirPods Pro like really blew my mind. I will actually say, first off, like, I think it's the most, I mean, granted, by the time this comes out, it'll have been a week since the new iPad Pro came out, and we're all gonna have opinions on that. This is my dig at Apple. I think this is like the best and most functional piece of hardware that they're making out of their entire suite right now. Fight me. The fact that I could actually like go about my day in a comfortable way and feel good and safe and still. Participate in technology out in the daily world really changed my life.
0: Cool, that definitely counts. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're gonna wrap up, and I just want to say thank you all so much for being here tonight and joining the Fleet Admin Community Panel via the IT Kit Podcast. It's been a lot of fun for me. I hope everybody had a good time, and yeah, just thank you for for joining tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Should we stop recording? We did it.